Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview was, was a real joy for me, and I'm looking forward to part two soon. Uh, most of my interviews are uh, so engaging for me personally, and I hope for my listeners too. But he's the editor of, uh, publisher, sorry, of Convivium magazine. Uh, he's a, uh, an author. He's got a collection of short stories called If Only. He's a photographer. He's a v- veteran Canadian journalist, and he was and is my guest today. And we talked about... An in, okay, wait for it, an intrinsic sense as to what it means to be human. What the heck does that mean? And we talked about uh, all of us being this, these, these meaning seekers. And we talked about transcendence and acts and conduct and content. And wow, I hope I'm uh, this sublime quality of existence. So yes, it was kind of philosophical and existential and all of that, but it was also a real delight. And I think you're going to enjoy it a great deal. So uh, buckle up. I think uh, we quoted G.K. Chesterton more in this interview than we have in the 160 that have predated it on Face to Face. Peter Stockland, my guest today, uh, you're going to enjoy. Check him out online, but also don't forget to check out davidpecklive.com for more uh, podcasts and also um, access to my book, Real Change is Incremental. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest today, uh, Peter Stockland, a veteran Canadian journalist, which I'm already getting a shiver up my spine about that, Peter. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. And we have found, I love the fact that we're kind of uh, on the make here at the Royal York Hotel in Toronto. We've found ourselves a quiet room for the time being, and we'll see how that uh, that plays out over the next little while. So thanks for joining us. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, everything, actually, Good. I think. I like everything. Do you like everything? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said there's uh, no such thing 
as um, uh, an, an uninteresting subject, only disinterested people. That's it. Yeah. And, and so let's cover as much of everything as we can today. Well, let's get through it. Yeah, are we okay with that? Yeah, yeah. sounds Excellent. good. Do we have to sign a non-disclosure? <laughs> I don't think we do. No? I no. think a handshake will do. <laughs> so you're a publisher uh, of, of, a, of a magazine called Confivium, uh, subtitled Faith in Our Common Life. You're uh, a writer of short stories, I believe a book you published a few years ago called If Only, a photographer, and this longtime journalist. So you've got stories. I mean, I think that's a great place we could start at. But I think this idea of faith in our common life interests me a great deal. Um, and and, and uh, faith, in one, faith 150 is yes, an yeah. initiative. Maybe we can talk about that. That might be a nice way in just to talk a little bit about what you're doing at Cardis with not only the magazine, but Cardis as a whole, this idea of Faith 150 and this collaborative, it seems, faithful effort mm -hmm. going on in, in Canada. Right. Well, Faith 150 is a part of the uh, the 150 celebrations, the sesquicentennial um, 150th anniversary uh, celebrations for Canada. And the idea, the real knot of it is that um, faith is a reality. Faith as faith is a reality in the country. And it should be part of what we celebrate as part of Canada. It, it's a, it, from the time that the first... Uh, Europeans waded ashore. Um, they brought their faith with them. Obviously, there was uh, lots of faith life going on here uh, in, in many different forms prior to their arrival. The religious sense is intrinsic to what it means to be human, and we can obviously reject that at, at a certain point, but, but part of what it means to be human is to, to, to have that religious sense, that sense of the transcendent. So as part of... Uh, the engagement with the 150th birthday celebrations, we began to think, look, we need to get a conversation going about what faith is, about how people engage with it, uh, about what it means to Canada, what it has meant in the past, what it means to us now, and what it's going to mean in the future. So the projects and the programs that we uh, are developing for the sesquicentennial year are based around that idea of faith in Canada. Do you say, would you say that uh, even for those who, uh, you know, would kind of, you know, turn their back on this notion that faith, you know, you, you talk about transcendence and faith really is a part of being not only Canadian but being a part of human, they would, a lot of people would probably say, no, I don't think that's true. Um, you know, our, our collective humanity is grounded in something else, something other, maybe biology or community. Uh, for, for, for you, though, um, you're coming back to a common ground, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. That's kind of global, I suppose. I mean, there's five or six billion faith-based people in the world, so that's, that's a lot of people who agree on something. Yeah. Um, but but the, the atheists in the room, the purely rationalistic scientific folk, are going to say bollocks to yeah. that, and I don't buy it. Well, I think you have to make a distinction. Um, you know, W.C. Fields said, um, uh, we all have to believe in something, and I believe I'll have another drink. <laughs> so, yes. you know, we all, we all whether we, we're theists or non-theists, we all invest faith in particular things. We invest faith in our families. We invest faith that our families will will be well, will, will prosper, that, that there will be love within our families. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But, but we bring faith to those sorts of things. As human beings, we bring faith to, to all, what all I the say, things though, is, Can I say as a philosopher, yeah. though, ah, come on, Peter, that's, a, that's epistemology. 
that's knowledge. That's I'm sure I bring. I'm, I'm faithful on this. I had to, a certain amount of faith on this chair today, right? Or the fact that I would find a parking spot in Toronto, you know, which is. You know, I'm not sure I should have faith about that, but that's another conversation. <laughs> well, but <laughs> An you overpriced do. parking right. space. Right. So is that the kind of faith you're talking about? Or, or would I, as the philosopher, atheist, rationalist, go, hang on a minute, you're talking religious faith, and that's different. Well, I, I, but I don't, I mean, I think it's, I, I'm not sure I would agree with the word different. I think it's a gradation. I think it's a continuum. Nice. Um, I, I think that uh, there there is for people of, of call it deistic or, or, or if you want to use the word religious faith. Um, there, there, to me there, there are distinctions. There, there's the act of faith. Mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the moment, um, you know, uh, the dark, in the darkness before dawn when you say, I believe in something that is beyond myself. I believe in another. I believe in, in, a, in a state of being that, that exists outside of myself. And that, that's an, it's an act of faith. It doesn't actually say anything about the, the qualitative nature of that faith, but it says, no, I believe. I believe ellipses, ellipses, ellipses. Mm -hmm. the, and then there's the content of faith. I'm a Jew. I'm a Sikh. I'm a Catholic. I'm, a, I'm an evangelical. I'm this, I'm that. I'm an atheist? I'm, uh, I would say yes, because okay. because the negation, an right. atheist doesn't believe in nothing, right? They they actually make a you can if you want to talk epistemologically, well, they can they turn a they they actually make a positive statement about the non-existence of something. Well, in order to do something, you've got to believe something else. Uh, yeah, exactly, it, right? exactly. And then then there's the conduct of faith. So there's there's act, content, conduct, um, and those are three to me very very important distinctions. Uh, when it comes to matters of faith, um, but but it, what it begins with is a sense that there there's an I. I am a self. I exist in the world. I'm a bodily incorporated, incorporated, incarnate being. Uh, but I see outside of myself. I I connect with another, and at a transcendent level, clearly there's a sense that wait. There's another that's that's beyond just the other that's like me. There's another that's qualitatively different, and that's to me, um, if you want to use the word religious faith, that's the appeal to our religious sense. You know, I look up and I see the stars, and I go, wait a minute, there's something larger than what I am here. There's something that I correspond to, and then the questions begin do about what that correspondence is. Do you think, Peter, that those sort of metaphysical notions that you have, or those transcendent notions, come out of your upbringing? So in other words, you're brought up in another culture, your parents are scientists, they're rationalists to the core, no faith, small f, or maybe capital F, in your family. Are you not seeing that when you look out and see the stars? You know, I just read an article, BBC cover, uh, front page, uh, uh, the, there's a galaxy that's been discovered, is it 15 billion light years mm. away? Which just is mind-boggling. Yeah. Uh, and it's taken 400 million years for that light to reach us. Right. right. I love the fact that in the article, the distinctions are, are made by the writer. Scientists are confident, love that stuff. Mm -hmm. In other words, they don't actually know. And how could right. they ever really know right. accurately? Right, right. Hang right. on, let me get this straight. Yeah, yeah. You want to measure this? Yeah, yeah. This is anyway, so, so vast. So yeah. when so when an astronaut looks out who's who's grown up in a scientific family, they don't see faith, transcendence, other. They see themselves. Maybe they have an existential crisis of a different sort. I don't know, but but maybe what I'm hearing from you is no. Hang on, that's still faith. 
there's still it, something sure that, that that is a that is a, um, a variant of faith there's no there's no question about it but but I think that it um, first of all I wouldn't um, I wouldn't necessarily accept depositing that it has to come from from crisis. It, the, the development of faith, if you want to use the word evolution of faith, the progression of faith, the growth of faith, can come from a recognition of beauty. Um, it can come from saying, um, uh, you know, I, I see something, where does, and asking the question, where does beauty come from? Um, how, there's something that's me, and there's something that I recognize as, uh, as sublime. You know, this is C.S. Lewis, right? Mm -hmm. um, in, in the abolition of man, there's there's a sublime quality to this existence. What is that? And y you know, you could grow up with um, stump tooth uh, moonshiners in in uh, you know the, the Ozarks, and and still correspond to that. That's part of what it means to be human. That's not. Um, that I don't think that's a deterministic thing. I, I grew up in a family of scientists. Ergo, I'm, I'm going to believe in a materialist universe, uh, point final. I, I just, I, I experientially, I know that's not true. Mm. There are many, many, many people I've encountered in my life, as I'm sure there are that you've encountered in yours, who grow up in a... I, 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 <laughs> I heard a woman at a... Was at a uh, media conference a few years ago and this woman had converted to Islam and the, you know the question was you know how did you become uh, a Muslim why did you accept uh, Islam and she said well you know I grew up in a kind of garden variety suburb suburban existentialist home <laughs> like none of those things go together <laughs> right? well every, everybody was waiting for her to say you know Episcopalian or Methodist that, that or she smoked said, a lot of dope. Yeah, 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 was yeah the next exactly. Line, I think. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, but then she <laughs> subverted it by saying existentialist, yeah. and and then just simply said, "But I began to realize there was something more," hmm. and she pursued. And, and do you think? It. Do you think we all know that? I mean, one of the things I've noticed just in the last couple of weeks, I, I'm going to be interviewing people, uh, uh, director, film director of Human Rights Film Watch uh, Film Festival, uh, coming up real soon, and. And just in the last couple of months, I've noticed a lot of our conversations kind of come back to this idea of belonging mm -hmm. and home, uh, mental health issues, um, and, you know, um, problems in the, in, the, in the global south, the majority world, et cetera. This is, you know, there's a sense in which we're all, in a way, trying to get back home. Right, yes, yeah. And I wonder if even the most raving sort of atheist you know, that says no, capital no, mm -hmm. exclamation mark, um, maybe there's a, a question mark in Invisible Ink, uh, you know, that's been written there as well by them and they're not going to tell anyone. But there's still this, I'm still trying to get home, mm -hmm. whatever that means. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's really, really well said. Uh, um, Rabbi uh, uh, Jonathan Sachs um, has a wonderful phrase in the, his recent, most recent book, uh, Not in God's Name, um, where he, he looks at it from an evolutionary perspective. But he says, look, even as, as evolved beings, as evolved creatures, and even as creatures on this side of the Enlightenment and all the fruits, the wonderful fruits that it has delivered for us, we remain a meaning-seeking species. We seek meaning. It's, it's what we get up in. When we get up in the morning, 
you know, yes, we want to know where our socks are <laughs> so we can put our socks on. But beyond that, we look to the world, what does that mean? I mean, it's one of the questions we always ask. There's a wonderful film, you, lo you love film, there's a wonderful movie, I don't know if you've seen it, called Ida, that came out um, 2012 or 13. I'll try to be very quick about it, but um, it, it's set in 1963 Poland. And there's this a young uh, woman, a novice in a convent, who's about to make her final vows. Uh, and her name is Anna. And she, uh, her, her mother superior, says to her before she, she makes her vows, you need to go out and experience the world outside our order for a brief time to, to discern whether this is what you want to do. She finds out through the course of, the, of this film that, that in fact her name is not Anna, it's Ida, and that she's not Catholic. She was brought to this convent as a child, but she's not Catholic. She's Jewish, and her family died in the Shoah. She begins the search for where they died, how they died. As she encounters various people through the movie, she, and this is 1963 Poland, so it's this gray, grim, it's always snowing, this black and white communist world, and people present these visions to her of a materialist future, of a utopian future of this. And she asks each of them in turn, what then? What then? Not what next, which is a very different question, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, so you're going to have this, but what then? What's the fulfillment of that? The end of the movie, not to be a spoiler, but the end of the movie, and you must see the movie, okay, is her think. walking along a path, a gravel path. And you have a sense that she's going back to the convent. You just know in your heart that's what she's going back to, but it never actually explicitly says that. You just know, apropos of what you just yeah, said, sure, she's going sure, home. Sure, sure. Because nobody can answer what then, but the convent re represents for her the place where at least the understanding and the discernment of meaning can be found. So. So let's talk about that meaning a little bit in relation to interfaith dialogue, faith 150, etc. Is there a common language? I mean, is there a common language of all men? Are we really in this all together? You know, I mean, let's get beyond chromosomes and, and, and atoms. You know, what did what did they? Oh, come on, uh, atoms in the void, Democritus. You know, let's get beyond that a little bit yeah. and and talk about um, I don't know our common heritage. Um, uh, let, me, let me try to answer this way, and I, and I hope this doesn't sound really soppy and, and, and sentimental, but it probably will. But well, anyway, I'll, I'll, take, so <laughs> yeah, I'll take the risk. <laughs> my, uh, my wife's family are, are Francophone. Uh, my bad my, uh, didn't speak a word of English, not a word of English. She could say, breakfast is ready. <laughs> that, that was it. That was the limit of her English. My mother, my late mother, spoke zero words of French. No words, nothing, zip, bonjour. But mm -hmm. she couldn't say bonjour. She, you know, mm -hmm. she couldn't it. even swear in French. She, she couldn't even swear oh, in French. And believe me, she could swear. What okay, she I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> she couldn't even swear. The two of them came together. They tried the if I just yell louder, um, I'll, I'll make her understand routine, right. which right. of course doesn't work. They picked up the grandchildren. Those are common language. They understood. They were both grandmothers. They were both women. They both loved these little children. That was a common language. And they worked around, they made bread together. They figured out how to do it. Because there was a commonality. There was a, a, 
uh, a coming together of what we as human beings are meant to do, which is hold our children, give love to other people, be within a, a world where, where that love can be shared, even if language itself sometimes fails. My, there's a lot, very long and maybe convoluted yeah, answer to your, to your simple question, but to me, that's what ultimately faith, and particularly a developed religious faith is. It's that moment where reason continues when language has failed. Or not even failed, but language comes to its, its useful end. It's a great title for a book, by the way, When Language Fails. <laughs> but, but that, to me, is really what faith is about. The act of faith, and content and, and conduct are obviously different from that, but the act of faith is that moment that says, I can't get there from here using verbs and nouns and adjectives and adverbs, but I know, epistemologically I know, and I can make that shift in good faith. So if you're, uh, you're, 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 you're happy to talk more specifically about your faith too, your faith-based, why the heck are you a journalist and not a missionary? <laughs> well, and maybe, and maybe you consider yourself to be one. No, no, I don't actually. I, I don't consider myself to be a, a missionary at all. Um, well, there's so uh, many issues around that word well, as well yeah, that I, I find uncomfortable. Yeah, but but, but I'm, I'm really I'm really careful about that. I I think um, it, it's more a, a a question of helping people. Um, develop lines of inquiry, uh, not to tell people <clears throat> what it is they should do or what it is they should think or, or any of those kinds of things. Um, I, I don't see that as my role because I'm not qualified for it. I, I'm not someone who, who can do that. Um, I, so I just, you're, you're a seeker? I, I'm, I'm a seeker, but I, I, like, to, I like to the idea of, of saying to someone, well, what about this? Do you think about this? Uh, not to say you must think the way I think, but to say, look, my, in journalism, all through my career, my, my goal has always been, I can tell you something that you may not have known. You know, you quoted Chesterton earlier. Chesterton's great line, his great definition of journalism, which I've always used, is um, journalism is about telling people Lord Jones is dead, who did not know Lord Jones was alive. <laughs> you know? so, so giving a sense of importance to people that maybe they didn't really think was that important and probably won't. But, but so that's part of it, is just bringing information to people and letting them decide what it is they right. want to do with it. Which is kind of the, 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 the role of any artist, it seems to me, right? Sure. Present the film, hopefully some of, I think some of the best docs, some of the best narrative films don't don't moralize, right? Right. They kind of present and let you walk away, and they and they, they provide um, a space for you to kind of come to terms with Absolutely. it. And hopefully, you're going to have a conversation with your wife or your friends or whatever it is right. afterwards to say, "That's it. I actually don't know where I stand on right. this issue." Right. right. And then, so the, then that's it exactly. But the the um, for me, the the moment of satisfaction or the moment of of connection is when somebody says, well, I haven't thought of it that way before. I may not agree, but, I, but I'll go away and think about that. And you know, they can come back and say, look, you're, you're full of beans. That's nonsense. That's ridiculous. That's a great dynamic as far right. as I'm concerned. Right. That's right. what interests right. me about journalism. Was there ever a time in your life as a journalist you said, this is the way things are, and you know, and maybe that's the distinction between an investigative kind of journalist watching House of Cards, and there's a journalist in House of Cards who's got to now prove that the president is a, a, 
a killer and a crook and a thief and all these things. And so he's digging and he's got the pins all over the wall. And I mean, it's very cliche, right? And yeah. he's, doing the, he's doing the detective work. I don't get that sense from you as a journalist, but was there ever a sense where you felt like you had to convince me before in your early career, your more naive phase? Never. <laughs> no, honestly, I can say uh, never. I never, I mean, I've done a lot of that kind of work, but I never, um, I, I never thought that it was my role. You know, when I, when I was running a, a paper years ago, uh, somebody said, you know, we have to lead people. And I said, you know, we couldn't lead a blind drunk to the bathroom in a bar where they're giving out free beer. <laughs> that's, that's not what we do. That's yeah. not who yeah. we are. Yeah. We give information. We can help shape understanding. Uh, we, can, we can put things in front of people to make them think. Um, but, but it's not our role to tell people how the world should be. That's somebody else's role, and God bless whoever wants to have that role, mm -hmm. but that's not our role. Our role is much more Socratic than that. Right. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I, I certainly take, uh, as a teacher, uh, I try to do the same thing. I try to take a Socratic role, and one of the things I've found, you know, uh, both unsettling and encouraging is uh, more unsettling probably, because I tend towards the melancholic, um, <laughs> but majority of students are uncomfortable with that approach in the classroom. They don't know what to do with it. I don't, I think the lessons we learned in the academy, you know, 3,200 years ago have been largely lost. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know that PowerPoint or lectures typically are the way to go in the sense of how do we participate? How do we build that community? Mm -hmm. If there really is common ground, like you and I were just chatting about briefly, you know, the grandmothers with the grandchildren, well, how do we represent that well in a classroom mm -hmm. and break down that fourth wall and, and actually get to, yes, of course there's got to be info and data and science and math, but how do we build relationships in the classroom? And I think it's Socratic dialogue, and, and that sounds formal and fancy, and it's so not. Yeah, it's what know, goes on at a bar if you got a couple of smart, interest, not even smart, just interesting people going back and forth over a game of darts. That's Socratic method, you know, when, or the Socratic method. When it is. When, when my son was small, um, we, he and I used to play this game. Um, we, we would just, you know, flop on some pillows and take Archie comics and look at the different panels. And we, we, our game, the game was called It Doesn't Make Sense. And we would go through... <laughs> also and, another good title for a book. <laughs> and go through and find all the discontinuities. Like, how Fun. did he get from there to yeah. here? Like, what, sort of spot the lie almost. Or yeah, or just, logic. like, how did he... How did he if, if he's, why would he be there? If, uh, and just to go through that process of... I think, it, you know, the, the sort of formal um, name or, you know, is like critical inquiry or critical sure. method or whatever. Appreciative but, but but it really wasn't. It was the art. It was using Archie to to look at things that, that don't make sense, but without prescribing what actually yeah, does right. make sense. No prescription. How yeah. could that no. be? No. How would he get there? Like why is he purple in this panel? Well, and, and the beautiful you know, thing I think about that kind of an approach is you build. You were building a relationship with your son as well, right? You were yeah. you were working working on a variety of levels. It mm -hmm. seems to me, which which is what so many of us don't do. We moralize, we prescribe, it's always ought to's. Yeah. You ought to behave this way, you ought to respond this way, instead of saying, tell me how you think you should respond based right. on X, Y, and Z, and based on what you currently know, and so on. Right. It, it, it's kind of, um, and, and I see that in the classroom all the time. 
Yeah, the, I teach postgraduate students. They're coming out of degrees, and they've been they've been hypnotized by logic. Mm -hmm. They've been formalized. Yeah. They are they're ideologized yeah. into a particular way of seeing the world, and it makes me crazy. Yeah, you know, you, you know the, too that the, uh, an outcome. <clears throat> I think I, I don't know that this comes from doing that with with Archie Comics, uh, because he's gone through an awful lot of. Uh, Academic training since then, but last summer. Who Archie? Or? <laughs> no, Archie's never. Archie never got out of Riverdale High. That's right. <laughs> Mrs. I never. I wasn't much of an Archie guy, so uh, I, I was more Spider-Man. Uh, Mrs. Yeah. Beasley is still uh, still chasing him down the hallway. I think. That's but, funny. Um, yeah. uh, 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 anyway, uh, um, or Mrs. Grundy, uh, my son would kill me for that mistake. <laughs> uh, the principal, That's Mrs. Awesome. Beasley. Yeah. But um, the B. Anyway, I got mixed up there. He. Um, Last summer, uh, he's living in France now, and uh, um, we were having a conversation about um, the, some of the economic shifts that are going on in France. <clears throat> and he uh, he said, you know, I, he's just he was furious. He said, I read this piece in Le Monde or, or um, the Figaro um, about uh, the need to cut uh, vacation time for for um, French workers. And this guy from the conservative side of the issue was saying, "Well, you know, because we 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 must make the economy more productive, and da da da." da. And he said, "And then I turn around and I read this rebuttal that a guy from the left, a union guy, had written, saying, "No, no, no. Um, when when people have more vacation time and they have more time off, they have more time to spend. They have more time to buy things. They have more time to shop. They have more time to go on vacations." And my son said, "That's the same worldview. They're just approaching it from different mm. ends of." the same mm. spectrum. Mm. Why not people need more time to spend with their families? Mm. People more, need more time to do the things that they sure. love. Yeah. Which Ultimately it, they're still both consuming. Right, in, in exactly. This, they're both yeah. in that same, yeah. they're both in the same Archie frame. Yeah, sure, and sure. what he was saying was, you know, why is Mr. Nice. Lodge doing That's this <laughs> when Archie's doing this? But they're in the same frame. Why don't they just leave? Lessons yeah. I learned from reading Archie comics. It's <laughs> there awesome. you go. It's amazing. Exactly. It's great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read a, a quote from uh, uh, your February, March 2016 issue of Convivium. Uh, quote, as I said to someone recently, many of the serious problems of North American life seem to me rooted in our inability to walk home for lunch during the work or school week, close quote. <laughs> um, and, and interesting, and I just note, I mean, I must have noticed this before and when I read it a few weeks ago, but the title of your letter, uh, or your opening publisher's letter, is Seeking to Belong. Mm -hmm. I mean, how appropriate for kind of what we're talking about here, this mm -hmm. common ground, this finding our way back home, et cetera, et cetera. I went home for lunch. Uh, I used to go home to watch the Flintstones. I would walk home and get craft dinner and, uh, you know, have a pea soup and grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah. And, and then I would rush back to school and miss the last five or six minutes of the, the second episode of the Flintstones. <laughs> um, tell me about uh, a better world if we all came home for lunch. Well, I, th I think, and, and in fact, you know, in, in uh, certainly in many European countries, I know in Italy, for example, it is really important to stop. Uh, during during the day and sit down and have a decent lunch. Um, it's important for the nourishment of your body. It's also important to put down what you're doing and do something else in the company of people that on some kind of gradient um, you like gusting to love, 
disgusting to maybe just had a fight with yesterday, but now's the time to get over it. It's, it's important to come together around the table. Not, a, not even as a nostalgic thing, or, but, but as a practical, effective, um, taking the moment to do what needs to be done. And th- that certainly corresponds, you know, we were talking about um, r- religious, um, religious acts, religious content. <clears throat> That's very much a center of, of monastic life. When the bell rings in a monastery, whatever you're doing goes down and you go and pray or you go and go for a, a meal, to, uh, a group meal. There's a wonderful book, I think I was mentioning it to you, called The Music of Silence by David Steindl Rost on, on, on just exactly that, the, the division of the day into the, the liturgical hours, the monastic hours, and dividing up our days so that they don't just become Groundhog Day in perpetuity. But rather, you know, that, that sense of I got up in the morning, I'm doing exactly the same thing. No, there's, there are breaks in the day, there are moments. I think as human beings, we really need that. We need to turn our attention to, as I said earlier, to our own nourishment, both, you know, physical and, and emotional, and so we don't. We don't. Is this, so is it about rest? And it's a different, and if it is, it's about a different kind of rest. It's not just about getting more sleep. This is about a break or... Uh, hmm. uh, uh, a way of injecting another kind of life. Chesterton, Chesterton has a wonderful essay which I've, I've been quoting for many, many, many years. And it's one of those, I have certain things that I reread at least once a year, and, it, and it's one of them. Um, it's called On Lying in Bed. <coughs> and, it, and it begins with him lying in bed and imagining that he can paint on a white ceiling. Um, and he figures out that he would need a, a broomstick and, you know, how long the broomstick would have to be and so on. Um, but he, his point is that um, there are moments when we are in a place where we're, we're quiet. We, it's not just rest as rest, but rest to let ourselves become fully human and give beauty to the world. And... Um, he, he actually has a great line. Um, he, he says, uh, um, Misers, it said, get up early in the morning. And burglars, I'm told, get up the night before. Mm, mm. <laughs> so that, you know, the minute we turn time into these right. productive things, right. uh, exclusively productive things. Exclusively productive. And the, the end uh, line of, of the essay is that if anyone suggests to you that... Lying on lying in bed should be done for therapeutic purposes. Get out of bed and run as far away from them as you possibly can. This should not be undertaken as therapy. It should be undertaken as a form of beauty, uh, as a contribution of beauty to the world. And that's, that's the sort of thing I mean. A, f- uh, a group of people coming together over bologna sandwiches and, you know, wheat tea, there can be a beauty in that. And of course, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, are you anti-to-do list? No, I actually need to-do yeah, list because otherwise I would just sit there. The and question's more for me than you, actually, because <laughs> no. I, 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 I get a huge amount of pleasure of scratching things off my to-do list. Okay, what's next? Yeah. Right? Boom, boom, boom. Always what's next to the point of, and this is what I've learned from the work that I've done over, you know, South, in Southeast Asia and largely in Cambodia, Buddhist, uh, the meditation, yoga, etc., taking time for myself it's really hard for me to do mm-hmm. it's deadly to be in the moment and I'm uh, 
I don't know. I don't know who I blame for that, but I got to find somebody. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm getting better, thankfully, yeah. at it. But I still find it really hard to, to, to step back, to rest. And yet, when I'm in the situation over lunch with the bologna sandwiches, etc., it's invigorating. I love it. I need to do more of it, right? It's yeah. a real contradiction for me anyway. Yeah, but, but I think... Um you know, it's, there is that that phrase, and I think it's uh, Chogyam Trungpa, uh, do what you are doing, and it's probably a, there's a, probably a Buddhist variation of uh, of that, and and so I don't I don't think it's a question of you know our to do list a bad thing. I don't think it's it's that um, that much of a duality. I I, I think um, you know to to do lists can be very productive and very um, and, and very helpful, but. Um, but, but at the same time, I think you actually have to recognize that the important thing is what you're doing, not the fact that you checked it off a list. And that's what we get backwards, right? We, we, we have the lists in our head, that, that, and the list becomes paramount. But it's not. It's the actual doing of it that matters. And certainly, um, you know, th this is, um, I mean, you could find any number of, you could find an infinite number probably of examples where, where this is possible. One of the things that I find with photography, for example, I've been taking pictures since I was uh, you know, a young kid and I took them you know, as a, a young reporter. I, I was a photographer first. <coughs> but one of the things I find with photography, and I'm just using this as an illustration of how it works, is to actually stare through the lens at something and watch the light as it plays on people's faces and see all the things that go into the composition of a picture and get that exact moment when you got the shot and you got you brought something out of that 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 scene that person that individual there's a there's a tremendous gratification of it but it's not just because you got an artifact or because you've not checked right. it off a list it's because something was created there was beauty that was added to the world right. however yeah. ephemeral it might be right right yeah. right um, so maybe we can come back to this uh, idea a little bit of, of uh, you know faith uh, in common life faith 150 etc um, the I mean it sounds to me like you're pretty hopeful about this dialogue, this conversation. I mean, sometimes when I read the news, uh, when I uh, and I'm now reading the news mostly digitally, I don't actually get the hard copy mm -hmm. paper anymore, which is a little bit of a tragedy to me on, mm -hmm. on a certain level. It seems like a lot of the stuff that makes the news is not about the dialogue; it's about everything other than the dialogue. Right. And it's about everything. It's it's about exclusion. It's about division and separation and difference. Mm -hmm. And yet, it seems to me you're talking about similarity here not difference, or is it similarity through difference? I, I think it's actually about, um, about space, and it's about recognizing that, um, that, that, that there can be and there are significant differences that don't mean that we have to be opposed to each other. They, they don't mean that, that we have to act in, in, in oppositional ways. They, they mean that the, the phrase that, that I've used is that we can have a conversation without the imperative of conversion. Hmm. We can talk. Whoever I, you are. Whoever, whoever you, you are. are. I can come to a much deeper understanding of a series of things. You as a human being you as the faith to which you ascribe, 
you as someone who is engaged in the rituals uh, and the conduct of that faith and of my own faith by, by engaging with you in conversation around the faith that you hold. And I, we start from the premise, and I certainly start from the premise, that faith, it's just a reality. I mean, get on a bus, walk down the street, go, go and have a cup of coffee. Someone in that vicinity is going to have a religious faith and in large probability be manifesting it in some way, whether it's through the clothing that they wear, whatever. You've got to recognize mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. that. That's not just a question of, oh, let's be nice to them. No, mm -hmm, they're in mm -hmm, that space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they share it. Mm -hmm. We share this space. Sure, so sure. how are we going to share the space? Throwing punches? Or are we going to share it by having a conversation? Or are we going to share it by, you know what, we're just not going to get along. Um, let's come back and try in, in another generation. Whatever. I, I, I don't know what the, I don't want to prescribe. I don't know what the prescription is. But it seems to me there has to be that acknowledgement of uh, that. Look, the space is there. It's real. We can go back to the 1840s in Canada and burn each other's barns down again, sure, sure. <laughs> as we did, um, or we can say shared space, something to learn. Um, let's have a t let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. Do you think there are a lot of these conversations going on globally? Are you are you are you more cynical than that? Are you are you hopeful? I mean, again, you look at the news. It's about rocket launchers. It's about ISIS. Yeah. It's about beheadings. It's all the crazy stuff. And maybe right. that sells papers as they. That's still a, such a cliche, trivial thing yeah. to say. It yeah. seems to me, but it does seem to get a lot of attention. What's getting attention these days? Trump. He gets the attention. Right. 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 Not the not the sane politicians. The ones that are actually making a difference and saying things that matter. Right. Um, so maybe it's a problem with journalism, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, the question, are, are there conversations like this going on around the world? There are huge conversations like this going on around the world. I was just at um, an event with, uh, with uh, Rabbi Sachs, um, 250 people at the Glenn Gould Studio at the CBC, um, in, and hanging on every word that he and Father Raymond D'Souza, the editor of, uh, of our Convivium magazine, had to say. There are all kinds of these conversations going on mm -hmm. around the world. Let me, let me give you um, two quick examples mm -hmm. of, in exactly, you see, it's not, it, it is a problem of journalism, a mechanical problem of journalism, but it's also a problem of what we're prepared to pay attention to. I just did a, uh, an interview and a, a piece on, posted it on our Faith in One uh, Canada 150 blog, our thread of a thousand stories, on a, on a fellow, uh, Richard Marceau, who works for the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs. Uh, Richard is a former Black Quebecois MP uh, who was born and raised Catholic, is now uh, converted to Judaism in his 30s, and last year, 2015, took his father, who's a third order Franciscan, to Israel for the first time, and, and experienced and Richard's been there 30 times, his father had never been there, but experienced the birthplace of the Abrahamic faith mm. with his father, mm. who maintains the faith that Richard uh, moved, moved away from, right. we could say moved into right. the old faith. Right. The point is, nobody has ever reported that story, and mm. it's a fascinating, mm. because it's mm. just not there to report, sure. right? It's just sure. not part sure. of the stream, but it's a fascinating story about father-son discovery, about faith, about the way 
being in a place um, makes that faith vibrant and alive and about the conversations that yeah, they had yeah. those kind of conversations I'm not saying that you know a father and son a Jewish convert and a friend Franciscan are going to Israel every day they, it's not but those kinds of things are happening all the time and one of the things that we're trying to do with the thread of a thousand stories is establish the narrative argument that those kind of stories are happening because they are. We're going to collect a thousand yeah. stories. Yeah. Well, a thousand is a fairly big number. If, the, if there are a thousand, there are probably ten thousand. Sure. But sure. they are happening. So we got to wrap it up here in a couple of minutes, sadly. And so we're going to have to do, uh, I mean, we haven't even started to talk about the easy stuff, like truth. I want to talk about truth with you, Peter. You know, and I want to hear some of your great stories. I want to hear some of the embarrassing stuff that's happened to you over the years as a journalist. I think there's a lot of fun stuff we could talk about. So the C in an interview in Convivium, is that you? Generally it is, yeah. Okay, so yeah. here we go. Quote, there's an onus on us to speak the languages of all men to make people comfortable with who and what we are. Uh, an interview um, called Horizons of Belonging from, I think, your most recent issue. Is that a good way to sort of end this interview, would you say, that, that, that quote from you? I mean, do you really believe that, uh, you know? Do you indwell that? Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. Um, there's a wonderful uh, line from Janet Nolan, the person that was being interviewed there, um, and she, she said this, and that's, uh, it did really caught my ear, that you know, we, we talk a lot about inclusion, inclusion and diversity, uh, welcome, and those are all really, really good things. But belonging is something more than that. Mm. When I welcome you, I bring you in. If I include you, I make sure that you're, you're part of what's going on. But belonging is about noticing you're not there and going out to find you, right? And that's, to me, what, what is so important to do. Where, how do I not just bring you in to, to our earlier conversation, not just persuade you of the correctness of what I'm saying, but how do I actually say you belong here this you, we don't even have to wear the same colored hat but that's okay we're kind of, <laughs> kind of back to that idea of home again in a sense it, exactly i really do love that notion yeah. of i think it's something we can all really relate to on so many levels one of the things you and i talked about this before but um i think one of you know chesterton um he won a contest at the Times of London. They they ran a contest, What's Wrong with the World? And Chesterton won by, do you know this, right? Of, of course he did. Yeah. Well, you know what he, you know what he wrote. Uh, I am. Right. Uh, yeah, right. I am. But, yes, but yes. Um, Which is, yeah, talk about a, a, an idea for a podcast interview. <laughs> no, seriously, and what are the, the ties? Yeah. The film I saw yesterday at the Almost Holy, brilliant film out of, mm. coming out of the Ukraine, we could launch just based on that statement alone, right. the I am statement. Anyway, sorry. But, but no, uh, but I, uh, you and I talked uh, uh, a while ago. I really do firmly believe that one of the deep structural problems we have in North American society, at the very least, and it relates to that idea of being able to go home for lunch, is we get up in the morning, we fill ourselves with protein, carbohydrates, mm -hmm. we, we eat all this food, and then we go out and fight for space yeah. and, and fight for dominance yeah. and fight for, for our own survival as we commute to work. Yeah. It's totally backwards yeah. from the, the normal no. way that any animal well, lives. And, and no wonder we don't seem to care about others. No wonder. Right? No yeah. wonder. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, um, but it's a reversal of the programming, right, right. Of, of who we are. Uh, 
nice. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. and, and it, it actually, it, um, it turns that sense of belonging and coming home on its head because it says real reality is, you know, yeah, you sat at the breakfast table with your family, with someone that you love, with your dog, and, and had a moment and ingested this food and then charged with that food. You went out into the real world. Right. Whoa. Right. Yeah. 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 To beat people up, yeah. to compete, to sharpen your sword, etc. Yeah, to give people the finger and uh, exactly like, to honk why? your horn and so on. It's it's yeah. really fascinating. I mean, maybe that's the launching point for our next discussion. I uh, I think it, I think it could be. Peter, thanks for joining us Thank today. Thank you so much, Peter uh, Stocklin, a uh, veteran Canadian journalist. He's uh, author of short stories of a book called If Only. Uh, a photographer and the uh, publisher of Convivio magazine. Check them out online. Um, what, what is the website address? Just to, let's get it uh, digitally on www.convivium.ca. There you go. And again, Peter, thanks for joining us. Today. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.